This week in the parish of bourses and market structure, Robinhood disappoints in public trading as there may be a singularity moment approaching in the top tier of Young's Pyramid. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast number 106. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very brief reduction of the highlights amongst the key headlines from the week in market structure. All of the analysis of the week's many events and happenings can be found in Exchange Invest's daily subscriber newsletter, The Unique Guide to the Bourse Business, sent daily to your inbox. More details at exchangeinvest.com. As I said at the top of the show, is it time for the singularity moment at the top of Young's Pyramid? I wonder. I felt for some time a possible turning point in the parish was emerging. A massive baton handover fueled as much by ICE's efficiency and ambition as the Chicago Mercantile Exchange Group's complete absence of ambition beyond being a micro-futures haven for memesters. One little snapshot that emerged over the course of the last week. A week ago on Wednesday, CME reported revenue of $1.2 billion. On Thursday, ICE reported net revenues of $1.7 billion. Growth at CME was anemic. Growth at Intercontinental Exchange Group, 22% year-on-year. No matter how you look at this, CME remains becalmed and ICE has momentum, which raises the question, how many antitrust lawyers do you need to buy CME? Maybe it's one for next year. Maybe it's one for the year after. But then again, remember that ICE was part of a joint NASDAQ bid for the New York Stock Exchange in April 2011, which evaporated by May of that year due to antitrust on the NASDAQ NICE side of the stock market equation, even at that juncture. Of course, Intercontinental Exchange was making eyes to acquire life as part of the Euronext Group. Within 20 months of that deal falling apart, however, in November 2012, Intercontinental Exchange Group had vaulted sufficiently forward to buy the whole NICE Euronext business. Perhaps at a 22% versus anemic 1.6% relative growth rate, ICE armed with better oil markets and a unique chance as interest rate benchmarks shuffle their senses between, well, a whole new series of possible benchmarks. There's a unique chance for the Intercontinental Exchange Group to go for the jugular and defenestrate the apparently not keeping up with the times CME group. Speaking of keeping up with the times, it was time to go all rather medieval. Robin Hood group, they closed at $34.82 in what Reuters termed a grim stock market debut. This was only part of a very fast-moving week for the folks who enabled the GameStop movement, even if the meme boom didn't extend to their own brokerage. Well, at least not on day one. Hours before it priced, folks thought Robinhood was approaching a point where free was worth $35 billion. However, when push came to shove in an elegantly managed Nasdaq trading debut, Hood, as its trading symbol is to this day, looked more HMS than Robin. 
HMS Hood, you may recall, was the largest battleship in the world for a long time, but when it was actually exposed to Major League combat, its design flaws were fatally exposed. And in a moderately epic battle of Denmark Strait during the Second World War, the Bismarck and Prince Eugen destroyed HMS Hood. There's only one daily news source for the business of bourses, Exchange Invest, the exchange of information. Exchange Invest publishes the daily digest of everything in the market structure industry around the world in a user-friendly email briefing format from Monday to Friday. With additional pith by former Exchange CEO and long-standing fintech pioneer Patrick L. Young, yes, that's me, Exchange Invest is the unique one-stop shop for the daily news in markets, market operators and related functions. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. It wasn't quite the big game over this week, but then again the threat remains that if the SEC's Gaza, that's Gaza Gensler, gets a big GameStop gig going, PFOF could be shortened to just puff. Anyway, rarely has so much been so heavily sold on so little commission via so many backhanders for selling order. I mean, sorry, I didn't mean backhanders for selling orders, I meant... Payments for order flow. And Robinhood, well priced at whatever it was on the opening day, $26.7 billion or $30 billion, it was well within the realm of Interactive Brokers Corporation, which itself is priced around about the $26-$27 billion mark. Robinhood shrank from $38 for a couple of days trading before making a majestic recovery. And much, much more as clearly the Redditors finally bought in and pushed the stock to a peak above $65 on Wednesday AM trading in the United States of America, just before this podcast went to pith. In private markets, you may recall that early June, Robinhood stock had been trading at $55. What a debut week for Robinhood, a fairy tale opening for the semi-mythological Robinhood, albeit that was one at the Grimm Brothers end of the spectrum, But as we record this particular podcast, some might see a move towards the happy ever after optimist end of the genre. Over in Vendorland, after issues in April and June this year, London Stock Exchange Group's Refinitiv had their third major outing of 2021 last week, with Icon going down for several hours. The optics simply could not be worse. LSEG cannot run their data stack despite the entire group being crawled over by battalions of consultants. Meanwhile, it was a busy week for results in the parish. All the deals were in Exchange Invest Daily, the newsletter no person can afford to be without capital markets and market structure. For the sake of the podcast, let's look at some edited highlights. Spectacular numbers from TradeWeb, albeit they in some ways managed to miss the earnings that were expected by the analysts, but nonetheless, revenues were up 23%. CBOEs, their second quarter profit, dropped 7%. And elsewhere, we had a plethora of deals. Capitalists, they entered into an agreement to acquire L Markets to expand their industry-leading optimization suite. Very interesting move there by Jill Mandelsis, who strikes with an interesting acquisition. Elsewhere, Nasdaq acquired a minority stake in Level ATS. What a good investment. NASDAQ are moving towards more blocks, just as LiquidNet is being damaged by fire on all sides, and SIBO is gearing up bids to become a world player. S&P Global and IHS Market, they're getting ever closer to their merger. 
They've announced an agreement to sell Opus and associated businesses. So various of the energy information services are being sold to perhaps a surprise bidder, News Corporation, in a cash transaction valued at approximately $1.15 billion. An interesting wholesale market purchased by News Corp, which is expected to close at the merger between S&P Global and IHS Market itself, as, therefore, S&P are forced into trimming potentially antitrust-infringing monopoly assets. Speaking of monopolies, well, there's no monopoly on knowledge, but it wouldn't be a bad idea, ladies and gentlemen, if you picked yourselves up a copy of Victory or Death, Blockchain, Cryptocurrency and the Fintech World. If you're looking for some more reading, whether it's during the course of winter in the Southern Hemisphere and you're locked down in the People's Republics of New Zealand or Australia respectively, or elsewhere in Asia, or if you're in summer holiday mode in Europe, then think about it. It's a binary world. Your career will sustain or collapse in the next stage of the digital marketplace. Hence the title, Victory or Death. My latest tome, it's published by DV Books and is distributed by Ingram Worldwide. In crypto land, the exchange Binance has become, well, somewhat of a byword for crypto pogrom these days, as even the usually euphorically optimistic crypto press have termed the Binance bourse of no fixed abode troubled. They're winding down their derivatives in Europe. They're closing off all sorts of other products. They're even threatening, my goodness, to have an actual physical headquarters. Binance appearing to confirm that they're moving the status of the HQ from nowhere to somewhere. Just where that somewhere will be remains open to question. Elsewhere, India, they've opened up a probe into Binance and indeed, as have various other nations, including Malaysia, in the course of the past week. Over in South Korea, 11 South Korean crypto exchanges are closing amongst a regulatory probe there. And there was a fascinating article in the Wall Street Journal about US crypto traders evading offshore exchange bans. The report that it was based on was written by Inca Capital, a data firm whose technology is used by the CFTC for investigations and market surveillance. For those in crypto exchanges operating such facilities for US citizens, as I noted in Exchange Invest this week, permit me to share a link to next year's must-wear fashion item. This was, of course, a link to the eBay page for orange jumpsuits. The good news is, of course, that the federal government will be paying for your suit up front, albeit they will charge you for your liberty and probably take all your crypto before you've paid for your lawyers. So here's the rub. How did Inca get this data? And I quote, Inca reached its conclusions by scarring Twitter for activity by crypto traders, including those boasting about successful trades. The article goes on to note in the Wall Street Journal, in other cases, traders tweet ID numbers for exchange referral programs that let them earn rewards if their social media followers sign up for that exchange. Such digital footprints allowed Inca to link a Twitter account to a trader on one of seven offshore exchanges, Binance, Bitfinex, BitMEX, Bybit, FTX, Huobi and OKEX. So big data and low cunning meets frail male egos was the order of the day here. The frail male egos are eager to show off their success, delivering a lethal cocktail satiating the thirst of the court for folk to accuse. Lots to talk about Gary Gensler this week, the new SEC boss. He wants more crypto oversight to protect investors. The problem is, of course, that while agreeing that crypto needs sound regulation, I don't really think Gary Gensler or any of the regulatory firmament are in the same digital century as the investors. The latter, the investors, have evolved. The former are still couched in fear of imbeciles and see protection as a synonym for prevention, in a form of perma-bondage of investors to stop them actually doing anything. That just frankly won't wash in the digital age. 
and is as bad an idea as the notion of a zero regulation free for all which nobody supports. Well, outside of some crypto kiddies, I suppose. The SEC chairman also noted that the crypto market is rife with frauds, scams and abuse in a report in CBS this week, which of course made Gary Gensler the only high-profile Democrat to discuss abuse this week and not be talking about the alleged Cuomo-sexual one. In products, the US have set new disclosure rules for Chinese IPOs coming to American stock markets, and the Chinese promptly replied by saying, well, you know, we could always talk about this together and actually manage to come up with rules between us, as clearly the Chinese hope never to see another IPO in the United States of America while the Chinese Communist Party is ruling. Exchange Invest is the daily must-read by the most influential figures operating the world's best markets. We invite you to join the exclusive group of Bourse bosses and other C-suite executives who make Exchange Invest the exchange of information, their daily business intelligence guide to markets the world over. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. Meanwhile, in the world of clearing and settlement, SEBI are looking to usher in a T plus one settlement cycle soon for the Indian stock market. That looks somewhat seismic, I have to say, as they're looking in India to go a day ahead of the United States, the United Kingdom, the European Union, actually most of the rest of the world. Great article, really worth reading. A regulated stablecoin means having a regulator. Posted by Paxos, the stablecoin provider themselves. A very well-structured must-read. Essentially, well, as the story goes, it's complicated. But there may even be shenanigans in the usage of, for example, commercial paper by other parties, as well as some vaguely irregular procedures which somewhat bend the notion of fully asset backed stable coins. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up, or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. In technology news this week, Trioptima, they have gone live with the Australian Securities Exchange for the TriReduce Compression Services. In Africa, lots of exciting news there where the African Exchanges Link project chose its vendor and they're endeavouring to get together some seven African exchanges to boost depth and liquidity through a single piece of connectivity. Great article from GARP, the Global Association of Risk Professionals. Thank you very much, Jeff Cutler, the author who even mentions myself, Patrick L. Young, and my recent move to Valerian Blockchain. Consensus begets competition in digital asset infrastructure. Another must-read this week. Regulation news this week. Financial regulators urgently need to get a grip on big tech. That comes from the Bank for International Settlements. Problem for me is perhaps regulators could get digital first to prepare themselves for, well, the big tech discussion. They almost invariably appear somewhat markedly analogue right now. The SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, he's agreeing with his predecessor. So, of course, that's from Republican Party representative to the Democrats. Every ICO is a security. Elsewhere, the SEC are seeking more power from Congress to fully regulate crypto. 
That's what Chairman Gensler was saying, and I'm open to whatever suggestions may be of what he seeks. We were positing this week in Exchange Invest that perhaps he wants to have SEC liveried what C-130 transport planes carrying a special SEC seal snatch squad for extraordinary rendition of foreign crypto infringers. That sort of thing. Maybe that's on the horizon when he wants to get the extra power to fully regulate crypto. Moving almost seamlessly into career paths this week, Nepal's securities chairman, the stock exchange CEO, are both under investigation for insider trading. Bit of a blow to the Nepalese stock market this. The Security Board of Nepal Chairman Bisma Raj Dungana and the Nepal Stock Exchange Chief Executive Officer Chandra Singh Saud are apparently being investigated for insider trading. That could be a bombshell with which to end, but I will offer you one more. The power of passive, particularly exchange-traded funds, deserve a mention this week as a great article from the S&P Indexology blog mentioned just how great has been the advantage of casting aside the old expensive unit trust and mutual fund structures. And I quote, When we aggregate the results, we observe that the cumulative savings in management fees over the past 25 years is $357 billion. What an incredible tribute to passive management by ETFs as opposed to passive management by unit trusts or mutual funds. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young. Thank you for joining me for this, the 106th Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast. I will be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, tune in every day if you want to get the daily pith and read the Exchange Invest newsletter. Free trials available via exchangeinvest.com. Thanks for listening. My name is Patrick L. Young. This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.